Hey, and welcome to the Resound Church podcast. Whether it's your first or your 40th time tuning in, we're so glad you're here. And we pray that you get something powerful from today's sermon. So I'm excited to be continuing our series on the in-between. Sarah started last week, and it's an interesting thought, I think. The in-between, obviously it means the in-between, hey. I'm always profound, you know. Our young people love to Instagram things like that. Um, but it's, it's, it's the bit from the start to the end. We'll call it life. And we wanted to just pull apart this whole thought for a period of time, not just from our point of birth to the point of death, but really the point where we encounter Jesus and we have him in our life and then to the end. I don't know what your journey of faith is or the journey to the point of encountering Jesus in your life has been, but there was probably for many people, there was a point before you encountered Jesus and in that moment and over a period of time, your your passion, your desire, your outlook on life would have changed. And so we want to unpack those and really talk about the way that God would want us to live in that period from knowing Jesus, knowing how he'd want us to live, and actually doing something about it. You know, it's one thing to know something, but to actually act on it and do something is a a different thing. You know, we're not here just to exist. Anyone likes to just exist? We're just here. Actually, we're called to be something, to do something, to, to live out a life. And God has called us to, to be passionate, to make disciples, but to also live a certain way. And I want to talk about that today. You know, that time between when we encounter Jesus and to when we die matters. And I don't know where you're at today and maybe you're, maybe you're struggling in life. What's purpose? What's meaning? You know, I have conversations semi-regularly with people saying, oh, well, should I stay in this job or should I change? Or should I, you know, where is my purpose in life? I actually, I saw a stat this week where it, uh, there was a big survey done and it looked at people's job and career and their vocation and only 37% of people could actually say that they felt like their job or their, their, their vocation had a purpose or a benefit to life. That's pretty sad. Um, they said, uh, reading about it, it was more about the, the fact that the industrialised world that we're in is over-administrated and a lot of tasks just get done. Um, and so it was, it was really talking about how people find passion and drive for life. But when we have Jesus, we should be able to find ways that we're passionate and driven for life. You know, one of the key scriptures we're talking about throughout this series is Matthew 22. Sarah touched on it last week. But... Um, let me just paraphrase it. Jesus is telling a parable. So his parable was a story where he's just finding a way to connect with people of like mind, helping them to understand in language the things of God in a way that they would understand. So he's sitting around with a whole bunch of Pharisees and teachers of of the religious law, and he starts telling them a story. And the story is that a king prepared a wedding feast for his son. It was his son's time to get married, and in those days they would have a whole bunch of tradition where they would would have feasts, and there'd come a moment in time where the the bridegroom went to to get the bride, and they would go and get married on that day. But prior to that, there was this feast, a celebration. 
And the king, as you can imagine at that time, a king would have been very wealthy and he would have put on a big spread. It would have been massive. It'll be as good as our morning tea next Sunday. <laughs> Maybe a fair bit better than that. But this king's having this celebration and they'd invited a whole bunch of their friends and, and probably guests that were, were, were known by the king. And then he sent his servants out to actually go and say to them, hey, the banquet is ready. We want you to come in um, to enjoy and celebrate with us as a family and to celebrate the upcoming wedding. So the servants go out and they go to let everyone know that, hey, ready, please come, please come. And all the invited guests said, no, I'm too busy. No, no, I can't come. I'm not interested. And it's interesting because it's like, well, if the king's putting on a banquet, you'd think you'd be there. Hey, you'd be ready to go. And, and so the servants come back saying, hey, no one wants to come to your party. And the king's like, well, what are we going to do? So he says, well, servants go out and just find people that you can on the street. Invite anyone. Anyone can come in. Now, remember that Jesus here is talking to uh, the religious teachers and the Pharisees and those people at the time. So he's trying to contextualize what the gospel is in something that they would understand. So the, the king opened it up and a whole bunch of people came to the wedding, people that he didn't know. And there was one man who actually came along and he hadn't prepared. He, he just turned up and he turned up. Just whatever clothes he was wearing, maybe he'd been walking along the, the outside the venue where they were holding this feast, and they said, come to the party. He's like, sure, free feed, let's go. And so off he goes to the, to the wedding. And it's actually interesting because we pick up this, this part of the scripture, Matthew twenty two twelve, and this man had come not prepared wearing the right clothes. And it says, friend, so this, the king is um, talking to this man. He said, uh, friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. I pictured my sons when I... Why aren't you wearing clothes, is what I say to Oliver. And he just stands there staring at me. Here's, here's the man saying he had no reply, had nothing to say. He said, then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him out into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. It's pretty harsh, really, hey? Come to our wedding, but then we're going to throw you into hell if you don't wear the right clothes. That's basically what he's saying. I reckon this guy was there, he's probably chewing on a big chicken drumstick or something, hey? What do you mean I had to wear certain clothes? He's just turned up, he was invited, and somehow... He's then in this place where the king's saying, well, you didn't wear the right clothes. You didn't prepare to come to the wedding. And it's interesting, and I think when we read this scripture, it's easy for us to just skip over it and not fully understand it because we go, well, hang on, what does that, what does that mean? Like, he said, come in, anyone's invited, but then he wasn't doing the right thing, he wasn't wearing the right clothes, so out you go. And I think if we don't really unpack this well, we, we make an assumption that either this story is about doing the right thing, about good works, about perfection. And then as Christians, if we understand the grace of salvation, we kind of get confused because 
The, the gospel says that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how you're dressed. It doesn't matter what you've done, but you can come to, to, to God anyway through the blood of Jesus and be cleansed and it doesn't matter. So we, we just get into this space where the parable is confusing. Remember, Jesus was talking to religious leaders and Pharisees who would have known the Old Testament. He wanted them to understand, ultimately, the message. You know, this parable is about Jesus taking the gospel out to the people that it was originally intended for. And then they refused it, but then he was going to take it to anyone. But also, it wasn't just about anyone. It was that as people, we have to live in a place where we, we're clothed in righteousness, where we experience salvation and actually truly accept it. And so we have to go back to the Old Testament. And if we look in Isaiah 61, and these leaders that he was sharing the parable to should have known some of these writings. And in Isaiah 61, verse 10, it says, I am overwhelmed, overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in the robe of righteousness. I'm like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. So here's this concept of clothed in salvation and draped in robe of righteousness. So what Jesus was saying is that, hey, when you're invited to the wedding, do what you can do and be prepared. Come, it's not about the clothes that you wear. It's not about the, the perfection or the good works. It's actually about how you live your life and are you understanding, are you allowing salvation through Jesus to clothe you? Are you prepared to be robed in righteousness? You know, salvation through grace isn't just a, uh, the ability for us to do whatever we want and for us to live however we like. There's a personal responsibility for us to live under that gracious salvation, to try and be as righteous as we can, but we've got to choose ourselves to live in those ways. The other scripture throughout this series that we're going to unpack is 1 Peter chapter 1 and Sarah started talking about this and we, we see a direct connection between this scripture and this parable that Jesus shared. You know, the, Peter's writing this book and he's sending it out, to, he's writing a letter and he's sending it out to Asia and the Galatians and, and people far away who would have lived in cultures where holy living and uh, was not a thing. They would have just been living it up. They were a secular society. And so Peter's writing this, this letter and saying to them, hey, you might have heard about the salvation of, of Jesus. You might have accepted that, but you also have to attach it with holy living. And so we pick up this, this scripture, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, I'm going to focus on today. It says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. So Peter's saying to people, hey, you might have salvation, but to get to that place where you're clothed, in salvation and you're draped in righteousness and to live a holy life how God would want you to you need to live in a certain way 
If we look at it in the message version, I've got three versions for us today, which is interesting to look at this same scripture. The same um, verse 13 says, So roll up your sleeves, get your head in the game, be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. How good's that? So roll, roll up your sleeves, get your head in the game, a different perspective. And then the amplified version says, so prepare your minds for action. Be completely sober, in spirit, steadfast, self-disciplined, spiritually and morally alert. Fix your hope completely on the grace of God that is coming to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So three different versions of that scripture and and we see different words in there but there's a whole bunch of discussion around our mind and how we think, what we should do and it's not just a live however we want to but actually if we want to experience life how God intended it, we've got to choose and make some decisions in our own life. Now, depending on how you're at in your faith walk, we'll, we'll make different adjustments but I don't know anyone that's perfect. None of us are perfect. It's not about us being perfect, but it's about us striving to live like Christ would want us to live. It's about us putting aside the things that God wouldn't want us to have in our lives and actually saying, well, God, I'm going to seek after you and try to live a holy life. You know, salvation through grace, as I said, doesn't give us permission to do whatever we want. We don't believe in once saved, always saved. You know, there's some theology and discussion around, well, if you're truly saved, then you wouldn't ever go back to sin and you wouldn't really ever be impacted and God would really do something powerful in your life, which is true. But we're called to live a holy life. Where the things that we do, the things that we think about, the way we act, the way we care for people is in accordance with how God would want us to live. So we're not saved, one, uh, not saved once and then always saved. It doesn't give us permission to just do whatever we want. Like those at the wedding, we've got to be in a place where we're ready and doing what we can. We've at least prepared. You know, that man at the, the wedding feast, he could have ducked home and said, no worries, I know for a wedding that I need to be prepared. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says this in verse 21, it says, if you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honourable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. So Timothy's calling us here and those that he was writing to, but he's saying, keep yourself pure and be in a place where your your heart, your mind is as best you can to live how God would want you to and see what God does. See how God uses you. This series is about us working on ourselves and and building discipleship so that God can use us. Again, it's not about perfection, but we want to be in a place where we're actually, like this scripture says, the master can use us for every good work. 
I don't know about you, but there's things in my life at times I go, well, that's probably not how God will want me to leave, li- live. Holy Spirit might speak to you and you, you have to deal with that. And the great thing is that we do have Jesus. We can come and ask for forgiveness and go, hey, God, I want to work on that. Maybe there's something in your life where, and I'm not talking about some massive sin, maybe it's the way you treat someone. Maybe it's the way you just speak. Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's the, the language that comes out of your mouth. Is it positive? Is it negative? What does the Bible say? But I don't know about you, but I want to be in that place where I'm a special utensil. Not just those ones in your kitchen drawer that you use now and again. <laughs> We're packing up our house at the moment and uh, we'll share about some of that in a moment. But Sarah's packing the kitchen and it's like, I'm sure there's utensils in there that can go in the bin. It's like, who's got the 12-month rule? Anyone else? Oh, we, we, no, we don't really have a 12-month rule. But <laughs> if you don't use... Anyway, I want to be the special utensil that God uses regularly, hey? Not the one that's sitting in the drawer that we've forgotten what to do with. Let's be in a place that, it's ready, that we're ready to go. So just a couple of things. James 4, 7 says this. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come, come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Come close to God and God will come close to you. You know, this isn't about us being perfect, about us living everything perfectly in our lives. We're never going to do that. But are we desiring to do that? As we come closer to God, he's going to come closer to us. I don't know how your friendships are, but I know in my life when I hang out with great people, it just does something for me. It encourages me where I've got a challenge maybe in my life, someone who's, you know, that whole iron sharpens iron thing. It's the same with God. When we actually come close to God, then he'll come closer to us. But what we tend to think we do when there's sin and things that are wrong in our lives, we separate ourselves from God, which is actually the opposite of what we should be doing because we're fearful and thinking that we have to be perfect. When we come closer to him, he will come closer to us. So a couple of quick points coming out of those scriptures in First Peter. The first one, self-control. Uses words there like be sober, be, be disciplined, have self-discipline. So we've got self-control in our actions. When you're driving and looking for a car park and someone steals your car park. There's too many smiles across this room right now. <laughs> Good thing that online people can't see. I can't see you. How are we treating people? I reckon since COVID, people's frustration levels have gone up, not just in driving, but, but how, are we, how is our self-discipline? How is our self-control? What about when it comes to our desires? Are there things in our hearts that aren't of God that actually we're acting on or are we having self-control to not do that because we know that that's not something God would want? What about in the way we treat others? Do we have self-control? Maybe someone has tipped you off and the first thing you want to do is just smash them, right? I'm not speaking from experience much. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for grace. 
And so do you act on that or do you actually put yourself aside and say, God, that's not how I would want to. Help me next time. And come on, let's be in a place where we're thinking about our self-control. And not just, hey, well, I didn't act on that, but actually God help me deal with that even thought. Give me grace. Give me patience. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> with our children. Uh, what about a clear mind? As scripture said, keep your head in the game. Prepare your mind for action. I don't know if you... When you've got something coming up, maybe if you're studying and you've got to clear your mind and just focus on one thing, maybe you've got a big project at work coming up or, or you've got to go into a difficult relationship conversation, whatever it might be, you need headspace. And that's what the scripture is talking about, creating a clear mind and preparing your mind for action. How are you focusing? Well, we love to be busy. Are you keeping margin in your life for headspace? We love to fill our minds with things. But for us to be in a place where we're wanting to live a righteous and a holy life, are we creating headspace and time for that with God? Removing the junk. Get rid of the things that aren't good. What are you thinking about? What are you looking at? What are the conversations that you're having that mightn't be as how Jesus would want us to live? Just deal with those things. And if you need someone to keep you accountable, find someone that you can share, hey, this is what I'm thinking about and helping you move forward. And finally, building hope and faith. You know, it says, be ready, fix your hope, put your hope in those things. You know, the challenge with building faith is that we usually wait for everything to be laid out before we actually do anything. We've been through a significant faith journey in the last couple of months. And can I tell you from very much experience, very recently, that wasn't very good English, was it? <laughs> At least I don't have a report, report coming next week. <laughs> but when we, when we expect... <laughs> Jules is going to write a report for me. <laughs> I would frame that, Jules. Here's what we do with faith. We wait for everything to be laid out. Then we act. The way that faith works is, you ready for it? Faith is faith. And so faith requires us, as it says in Hebrews, it's the reality of what we hope for, the evidence of things not yet seen. And so faith requires us to actually step out. What we do often is we sit here and go, God, give me more faith. Come on. When you give me faith, I'll have faith. I won't feel insecure. I won't feel anxious. I won't feel worried. And then I'll do something. And and so we we, we then sit in this limbo spot and going, I can't, I won't. But this scripture says that we need to build faith and put your hope in that faith. Well, the only way you're going to do it, and you're not going to like it, but I don't have many more preachers left. You have to act. Stop whinging about, well, I don't have the faith for that. Can I encourage you with lots of hugs and cuddles? Just do something. What's the worst that's going to happen? What's the worst that's going to happen? You step out 
and it all just goes bad, well, what's really at the end of the day going to be that bad? Is God calling you to make a decision for a new job? Maybe he's asking you to do a move. Maybe it's not even something so significant. Maybe it's just having the faith to believe him for something in your life, a breakthrough. What are you going to do? Because if you sit in that spot where you're just waiting and you're hoping that your faith is going to build, it's not going to happen. And as you step out, I guarantee that God will meet you. He mightn't give you the exact answer, but wait and see what happens. And that builds our faith. So just finally in James 4, 17 to finally encourage us all today. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. So if God's spoken to you, if the Holy Spirit stirred something in you and you haven't acted on it, we haven't acted on it. Just leave that up for a second, Steve. It says it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Who's encouraged by that one today? But we worry too much. So here's the thing. We all have a choice. We can choose to seek after to God and live a holy and righteous life as best we can. We can choose to step out in faith and do our best or not. It's up to us. But God would desire that we do that. Can I encourage you to do that? Like that scripture said, then when Jesus came in that, in that parable and the wedding feast was there, it's representing heaven, the gospels, the servants going out, giving the message, the people attending are the, are the people of the world, of all of us. We can respond to the message, but if we're not actually acting out, if we're not living in a place where we're seeking after God's heart, then it says there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Doesn't sound very nice. Doesn't mean that not, grace is not extended to us, but I don't know about you, but I'd rather live in a place where I'm seeking after how Jesus would want us to live than just using salvation as a reason or a get-out-of-jail-free card. So be encouraged. Let's pray, hey? Lord, I thank you that we could be here today. And just as we really quickly unpack some of these scriptures that you will speak to our heart, God, we desire to live after you. We desire to live a life that would be the way that you want us to lead. Help us, Holy Spirit, I pray today that you will speak to us if there's things that we need to deal with in our lives. Maybe we don't even have the awareness of those things going on. God, I just pray as we we continue to look at these scriptures that your Holy Spirit will just come and identify, bring conviction if there's some that needs, some area in our life that needs us and help us each day that we might be clothed in righteousness or that we might be clothed in salvation and robed in righteousness. God, we thank you for your salvation, the grace that you extend to us. God, help us as we live out our life every day, we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening through this message recorded live at Resound Church in Melbourne. 
You can find out more about who we are online, including our service times and live streams. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.